For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to Believe in Everything Auburn. I'm your host, Taylor Davis, joined by Jason Campbell, here to talk everything Auburn. We've got a great show for you today. We've got a few different storylines to touch base about. And then we are so pumped to welcome in another really high-energy, spirited offensive lineman in as a guest. We have former Auburn offensive lineman and a three-time Super Bowl champ, Steve Wallace. So it's going to be another great day here on Believe in Everything Auburn. We hope all of our listeners are doing well wearing your mask so that we can have a football season because I'll be honest, I'm feeling less and less optimistic. So there's that. But Jason, how are you? No, Taylor, don't feel optimistic that way. People, oh. wear your mask. That's all we got <laughs> yeah. to say. Wear your mask. Seriously. <laughs> um, PSA. Yes. Like, I understand it's uncomfortable and it's something that you don't want to do and it just throws your whole aura off. But people, we got to do what we got to do in order to get through this so we can move forward. Like, yep. come on, you know, everybody got to buy it together in this. But otherwise, Taylor, I am doing pretty good myself. I've got my energy drink and I'm pumped up because anytime you get Steve Wallace around <laughs> you and on set, you get energy. You better have energy because if you don't have energy, <laughs> He's going to drown you because his energy is at all time high. So you better have energy. And so people be ready to listen today. Tune in. It's a great show. (laughs) My girl Taylor got it rolling. She knows her sport. She knows her football (laughs) talk. You know, so Big Steve will let y'all know all about that. She's invited to all the barbecue cookouts and talk football and educate some of these guys that don't even know football. She got you. I got it. I am in. Nonetheless, it's definitely a fun interview with Steve. So y'all want to stick around for that. But want to get Jason's input on a couple different topics. And, um, you know, unfortunately, this one, let's start with with the big one that does, you know, shed some light into the current state of college football and the pending decision on if we will have a season this fall. And unfortunately, there have been some some negative decisions and announcements in regards to a season. So let's just break down a couple of these. So as of Wednesday of this week, the Ivy League was the first group to announce the decision to eliminate all sports for the rest of the calendar year. So all fall sports will not take place this year. They are aiming for January to resume sporting events does that mean football happens in the spring? Does it mean it's canceled altogether? Who knows? Wasn't specified. But for the next six months, at least, it ain't happening. So that is the first. And we talked about this when kind of all of these pieces were moving. One group's decision does not mean that is what has to happen for the entire landscape of college football. So the SEC could still opt to play. It doesn't mean that this is going to be a one-size-fits-all thing. But unfortunately, it does kind of feel like, actually, I read that the Ivy League was the first to stop their basketball play. They actually stopped before 
NCAA forced the cancellation. So could this potentially be another situation where they're the first to do it, but it is ultimately what we end up doing. But also you have to take into consideration that the Ivy Leagues aren't really generating the same funds from their athletic departments that, you know, the Power Fives and things like that are. They're, you know, in the library, not at the field. It's just the reality of it. But unfortunately, it is the first one to come out and say, you know what, we're not ready. We can't do this. So not all that surprising, but disappointing. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, when I take a look at this and after reading reading over a lot of things and hearing a lot of things this this week through the sports media, the one thing you the one thing for sure is yes, the SEC generates over hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in mm-hmm. in our sporting events. And typically that pays for a lot of the buildings that's on campus, it pays for other sports that, that kind of feeds off of football income. And a lot of job salaries for coaches and for for some staff yeah. staff people. Yep. And uh, so this is a huge deal. And I know in the Ivy League, yes, they don't generate as much uh, from their from their sporting that they do probably from academic scholarships and mm-hmm. and different donations and everything that they receive. But when you think about this, I, was, I think I texted you this earlier today. Stanford has come out and said that they're cutting eleven sports. Yep. And you think about it, when someone's cutting 11 sports, that is jobs. That's coaching jobs. That coaches are going to be out of a job. That's kids have to sign on to play scholarships to come to Stanford and to compete and, and everything, have opportunities to move forward in life off of these competitions and to be stopped and not have that chance anymore. Like that is detrimental because right. it is so hard and it's hard to recover from. We have got to come together seriously on this matter. And uh, like I said, hopefully we're able to have a season, but not at the risk of people getting sick and people dying. And uh, yeah. so, you know, we just got to try to hopefully pray over this next month or so that, that things can turn quickly in the opposite direction that gives us an opportunity. Yeah, I know that, you know, there there is a little bit of pressure for a decision to be made within the next couple of weeks because, you know, as the kind of next phase of, of the practice plan that was approved by the NCAA, they, there will be more of these guys around each other in bigger groups. We're getting closer to, to some contact drills and things like that. And if there's not going to be a season, there's no need to, you know, subject them to that kind of contact, run the risk of of heightening. Some schools have opted to stop the voluntary workouts for right now because of so many positive tests. So unfortunately it it felt like we were progressing and then we substantially stalled, if not have been sliding backwards. So the next couple of weeks, I suspect more and more of these decisions will be made. And yeah, like you mentioned, Stanford has, has had to cut 11 varsity sports because basically providing they had 36. So 36 varsity teams with the level of support that they need was, is always a financial challenge. But if you're heading in, we're first in the middle of a global pandemic. And then there's the potential that, you know, is looming of a very abnormal fall you can only suspect what kind of financial burden you're going to be in. But, I mean, that's hundreds of student athletes and and probably 20-something coaches that just got the news that their, you know, life as they know it is is done. And, and mm-hmm. it's not just contingent on this global pandemic. Like, the programs are ended. So, 
this is heavy. This is real stuff. This is real life. And if you don't feel like it's necessarily affecting you, be kind, be good to other people because a lot of people's livelihoods are being impacted by this. But, you know, there are estimates that the power five schools collectively, so that's, I think 65, if I'm correct, Mm -hmm. uh, collectively, they would lose more than $4 billion if there is no football this fall with at least 1.2 billion of that due just to ticket sales. So like even if we do have a season, but we opt to not have fans there, the schools will likely still lose a billion dollars. So there is, this is not an easy decision that can be made hastily. There really are strong arguments to both sides and you want to make sure you have exhausted all efforts before you pull the plug on this thing. So Mm -hmm. That's kind of where we are right now. Ivy Leagues felt like it was better to just chunk it up as a loss and look ahead to 2021. Will all the other groups follow? We will see. But if we do have football, it'll be exciting because we got some new lights to look at in Jordan-Hare, am I right? (laughs) Yes, sir. We got some LED lights. I mean, Auburn University debuts new LED lights at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Man, does this seem really pointless after the conversation we (laughs) We just just... had but whatever we are the third sec school to implement these new lights following georgia and alabama the estimated cost of the new led lights this is what's comical the estimated cost of the new led lights cost around 3.75 million dollars to upwards of 4.25 million dollars to complete the project and we were just talking about the amount of money that could be lost without football but we're spending millions of dollars on led lights you know the the world's just weird it was financed by the auburn athletic department funds so um you know, I'm not entirely sure why okay. we did this now with this kind of money, but apparently this has been something they've been wanting to do for a while. It, our lights were outdated and needed an update, and apparently this LED system helps with electric consumption, and, and it's better for the environment, so there are benefits all around. I'm just saying, if we're potentially using a, losing a billion dollars in ticket revenue this season, maybe not an LED light system, but nonetheless, they look dope. If you haven't seen the the video on Instagram, go watch it because it is going to be really cool. It does look nice. It looks nice. And uh, fans, we can't help it that we just talked about the losing of $4.2 billion and then we're putting back $3.6 million to $4.5 million to $5.2 million in lights. This is what we do on this show. We bring you everything Auburn. So they do look awesome. And hopefully if you have an opportunity to step in Jordan Hare this year, the night game. Do you notice things like that as a player when you're on the field? Like, do you notice when they do some of those cool light things or the music? Is that is that something that you're even aware of when you're out on the field? Yeah, that's the first thing we do. As, uh, when, you, when you're traveling, you're traveling to another stadium to play, the first thing coaches always point out are the lights, and especially for the receivers, because if it's a that's night true. game, you know, you got to be able to track the ball in the light, so you need to know what kind of lights you're dealing with. Um, for as quarterbacks, there's nothing really hitting you directly in the eye, but you have mm-hmm. to know where where the, uh, where the clocks are, you know, so you have to know where all those things are. So it does have an effect, you know, lighting has a huge effect. And uh, like I said, more so for the receivers than probably any other position. I feel that. I wish they would bring back, I think it was my freshman year, 2010. 
we used to always play All the Above by T-Pain going into the oh, fourth yeah. quarter. <laughs> that was my favorite. I need that one to make a comeback. Everyone knew every word, and we did our shakers, and then the football players took off running heading into the fourth quarter, and, like, look what 2010 was. I'm just saying, like, that song did something for all of us, and I need that to come back. But I'm sure that our video department and all the special effects and everything will do some really cool stuff with these lights, and I – Hype videos are my freaking favorite. So I, I'm sure that they'll do some really cool stuff with this. I but. guarantee you the start of fourth quarter, there would be something different this year because of the it has lights. To be. I guarantee you there'll be like some flashing of the lights or something mm-hmm. going into the fourth quarter. Fingers crossed, everyone. Let's talk about another very big topic that Auburn fans feel affects them. <laughs> Cam Newton. <laughs> officially signs with the New England Patriots. Now, we are going to talk about this in depth with Steve Wallace and get his opinion as an offensive guy, but we're going to talk a little bit about the details of this one. And I also just wanted to bring it up because, you know, Jason, I you're my guy. I, I, I think very highly of you, but uh, you were wrong, my brother. You thought that this would never happen. <laughs> you, I, I asked for your prediction on Cam. Maybe I, I'm going to go through my editing and find it. You saying, I do not see him with the New England Patriots. And here we are. So, all that to say, not, not here to rub salt and wound or anything. No, no. no but I am no. curious why, why you th- – because you did make some good points about why it wouldn't be the right situation. Why do you think – the Pats felt it was the right situation. Well, every now and then, tell you got to take a shot of vinegar to clean your system out. So, <laughs> you know, yes, I may have been wrong in my approach. I was wrong. You know, that's what I was wrong. <laughs> the first <laughs> so, time. <laughs> yeah, I admit it. But I tell you this, <laughs> after thinking long and hard about it, uh-huh. this could work. And people, you will hear later while it will work. And yeah. I say this to say that. Cam has a chip on his shoulder. Belichick has a chip on his shoulder. Tom Brady has a chip on his shoulder. So they're all trying to prove something, which I don't think any one of them has a lot to prove. You know, I just feel like, but that's just what we do to keep ourselves going. Mm -hmm. And I think Cam going to New England, he was just looking for an opportunity to get a chance to start somewhere where he can compete. They said it's going to be an open competition, and everyone knows we have another Auburn there in uh, Stidham. And uh, so from a locker room standpoint and from a quarterback room standpoint, I think this may be the first time in history there's been two Auburn guys at the quarterback position in the same room at the pro level. And, uh, of course, both of these guys are at Auburn at two different times. So, you know, one is probably more of a mentor to the other. But I do mm-hmm. think that this is an opportunity for, for Cam to go in there and compete. He will have a good team around him. and. Mm-hmm. And I do think it can work because New England is not systematic. New England kind of does what you do. What is your weakness? They attack. So I think it's going to be game plan by situation and the game plan from day to day because Cam is a guy that puts threats on defenses if they allow him to run. I think one thing Belichick looked at this offseason and said, hey, Baltimore, hmm, Lamar Jackson, what did he do to hurt a lot of teams yep. here? He used his legs. And I think when, when you look at Mahomes, he's a guy that can throw and run, get out the mm-hmm. pocket. And so I think a lot of these teams are looking at these guys and saying, man, the quarterback position is getting so athletic. Like, yeah. we have to get to that level. We have got to compete at that level right now in order to win in the NFL right now. And I think that's yep. why they said we need to go get Cam. 
No, that's a really good point because I think there are very few quarterbacks in the NFL with the skill sets of Cam Newton. And guys that have been compared to Cam Newton are now the ones running the league right now, like Lamar Mm -hmm. and Pat. You're exactly right. And I also think the Pats are open to a change. Obviously, Mm -hmm. losing Tom Brady. Tom Brady has been synonymous with the Pats, and so has his style of play. And with Tom gone, I don't think they want to duplicate that. And I think Jared Stidham would be a closer duplication to the Brady era, and I don't think they want that. I I think they're seeing the change in styles and and in effectiveness in the league, and I think Josh McDaniels is another OC that's really going to implement some innovative style the same way the Chiefs did. And I, I, I think that this makes sense. I really do. I think it's just going to be contingent on if Cam can be what he once was. And even if it's not what he once was, just closer. Because, yes, he's been injury-ridden, and I don't, I don't discount what he's been through. But sometimes Cam is his own worst enemy, and, and he gets in his own way, and he got to the point where he wasn't making very good decisions. Now, was that motivated because he was he knew he wasn't in his best health and he was kind of driven out of fear more so than, than you know, reading the game appropriately? I don't know. Like, no one knows, and that's why the Pats have put him on this very strange deal for just one year. This is essentially his tryout, but it's weird to think that a former MVP requires a tryout out yeah that's that's what they did they put him on a one-year deal um kind of similar to what they did with randy moss when they brought him over from the raiders um mm-hmm. and then they kind of extended him for a little bit so the thing is with cam is they didn't have an opportunity to get him in the spring have otas or or training camp well early training camp which i call mini camps they didn't get yeah. a chance to have those in order to see how healthy is he so right now they're kind of like doing this blind blindly like they don't mm-hmm. really know if he's complete healthy. They don't really know like where his stance is. Are he is he football ready? Is he game ready? Right. Um, so they're doing this blindly, and I feel like they saying, "Hey, we can't throw you twenty million right now, but we'll throw you seven five with some incentives, and things go well. We'll just extend the guy at the end of the year." And uh, yeah, I think that's what the, this this is part of their plan, and it's a tryout. It's like you said, it's a tryout, and. Yeah. At the end of the day, as a player, when you have gone through injuries and he's missed, uh, I want to say it's over 16 games the last two years. Uh, mm-hmm. When you miss that many games, it is uh, it does come a point you understand as a business on the business side of things. I need to see is this machine still working well before we right. invest four four more years into it. And uh, and I think that's what they're doing right now because it's not a whether amount of what kind of talent he has. That's not a question, and it's not a whether amount of is he still involved in football. It's it's a matter of how healthy is he, and is his mm-hmm. body in shape to be able to take the pounding that it takes to play quarterback in the National Football League. It is a brutal right. position. You get hit left and right, and uh, and they just want to make sure that they that before they invest more, they want to make sure that the early investment is showing that. Right. I agree with that. And also, this is a team that didn't have a whole lot of flexibility when it came to salary cap. So the fact that they were able to kind of put this together was smart business wise. So details of his deal, it's a one year deal with a base of $1.05 million, the minimum for his level of service time. So 550000 of the $1.05 base is guaranteed, 700000 in per game roster bonuses. 
5.75 million in available incentives. So the max value, depending on his play, how often he plays, how well he plays, like those details aren't necessarily in it, but the max value he could get is 7.5 million. So I think a deal like this, you can look at it a couple different ways. Cam could have looked at it as a bit insulting. And I honestly think that that's kind of how he was viewing all of this at the beginning. I think he felt slighted. He felt um, a bit insulted because Cam's never been in this situation. The second he stepped foot at Auburn, he was the guy. He was he saved Auburn, you know what I mean? And then, boom, first overall draft pick, and you've been with the same organization ever since. You've never really had to prove that that you were worthy of that. You, I mean, you did it on the field, I guess. But that mental aspect of feeling like, People were questioning if you should even play football anymore. That's never been something he's had to deal with. And so I think early in all of this drama, when the Panthers first let go to go of him and, and there was all the discussion about would anyone snatch him up and, and he was very public and vocal about saying he was not going to sign anywhere that wanted him to be a backup. Like he was just, I am the guy, I'm going to be the guy, and if it means I have to wait longer, so be it. Then his tune started to change a little bit because – the offers weren't really coming and knocking, you know? So he he realized what it was. No one is discrediting what you have done. No one's discrediting your potential. Look at the guy. He's a freaking beast of a human being. Like, he's in great shape. People are confused where you are right now because we haven't seen it in so long. And again, I think a lot of Cam's issues aren't physical. I know that seems like I'm contradicting myself because of his injuries, but like, I think a lot of times Cam's mental place when he's on the field has affected his physical performance. And so if he can get out of his own way, I actually think getting out of Carolina, out of the Panthers was the right thing for him. I think the Panthers made the right decision on that one. But I also think him still being in the league and getting with a place like the Pats that has a great coaching staff, great structure, but also they're not afraid of creativity. And I think they will play to his strengths. And the reality of them just having a better line than the Panthers do. So he doesn't have to fear as much as he did. Remember back in 2016 when he like went and had a meeting with Roger Goodell because he felt like he wasn't getting enough fair calls. So like this has always been something that he's dealt with. And now you go to a place like New England where Tom Brady never got hit. Like it's just, it's going to be a different game for him. I'm just hopeful that that cam that we've all seen on the field for years is still in there. And and when the mental issues are taken away, we see that come back. Right. And you said a great thing. Like I said, he's going to have to like understand like, yes, you can get spoiled. And, uh, you know, I think he was spoiled for a lot of years because mm-hmm. a lot of things came easily to him. And a lot of things was kind of just like, Hey, you know, it's kind of just like you rolled out the red carpet. Like I said, yeah. when he first came to Auburn, you know, he was a big time recruit when they when he came there. And then you win a national championship, you win the Heisman, and then mm-hmm. your first pick in the draft, and then you go to the Super Bowl, you're MVP that year, and then all of a sudden, you know, things start to derail, the team starts to change, uh, people start coming in and out the organization, and then now you find yourself, okay, I'm heading to my ninth year, and you know, it's not as easy as it once was. Like every right. person in life faces trials and tribulations, and how you handle those trials and tribulations, it has a lot to do with how you how your life goes moving forward. And you have to be able to accept some of those trials and tribulations just like you accepted some of those red carpets that was rolled out to you. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be ready with the same mindset and understand like, hey, you know, this is business. 
they move you out of Carolina, but it's not a detriment to you. It's just like, hey, they made a business decision. They want to go in a different direction. But he can look at this, which he's probably doing right now, saying, shoot, honestly, my team in in New England is better than the team that's in Carolina right now put Mm -hmm. together. Carolina is trying to put together a whole new defense. New England already has a top five defense. So there's so many positives with him playing better in New England than it would have been for him to go back to Carolina this year. I totally agree. I I really do. I mean, listen, I am not – big on the pats honestly i really don't like the pats <laughs> but they're kind of like if they feel like the alabama of the nfl where like no matter what they are just always going to be good you think they're going to get knocked down and then they never do and it's like just right. let someone else in you know which like shout out to the chiefs and the 49ers for like changing it up this year i'm, I'm appreciative but i i think that the league is better when cam newton is in it and when cam newton is playing at his best so this this could be motivation for him. We we will certainly wait and see. And I want to ask Steve about his perception on this one, especially given, you know, the difference in protection that Cam will now be playing with, how beneficial that could potentially be. So go ahead and bring in uh, Hold on one second. Uh, uh, uh. Everybody, oh, three questions for Taylor. Oh, up. shoot. Three okay. questions for Taylor. July the 4th okay. weekend was this past weekend. Barbecue chicken or ribs? I had barbecue chicken, but I would have preferred to have ribs, but they weren't an option. So, mm. Are you a pool girl, lake girl, or ocean girl? Gosh, that's a good one. So I, I, I love the beach out of all three. So I would, if I'm picking one, I want to go to the beach. Give me, give me two an ocean. But that's more challenging to get to. So I do love the boat. Fun fact, I'm actually a pretty good wakeboarder. That's like one of my hidden talents. So really? I do enjoy the lake, but if I if I have all three at my disposal, put me on a beach. Put you on the beach. Hmm. Okay. Last one. Hibachi <gasps> or Taco Tuesdays? Oh. oh my gosh. I've never been asked a harder question in my life. <laughs> Shoot. All right. Does the hibachi include sushi? Uh, Hibachi or Taco Tuesday? I'm going Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday. Yeah, I love a good marg and, and some queso, you know? There you go, people. Okay, Jason, I got something for you. What is your favorite holiday? Ooh, ooh. Christmas. Same. Yep, Man, Christmas. what a wonderful season. Yep, because my birthday is there too. What is one of your fears? Ooh. Ooh. And not like losing a loved one, because like obviously those are, but like something irrational that you shouldn't be afraid of, but it just like creeps you out. Um, Losing it all. Okay, no, that's too deep, Jason. <laughs> what the hell? Everyone fears that. Okay. All right. His fears are getting a pot belly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so serious. Of course you are. You're a freaking quarterback. You don't want a gut. Exactly. Oh my God, that's actually hysterical. All right, that wraps up our rapid-fire questions for the week, my new favorite segment. Let's go ahead and bring in our guy, Steve Wallace, former Auburn offensive lineman and a 12-year NFL veteran. So we have 
plenty to ask him about today. So let's go ahead and bring him in. All right, everybody, without further ado, let's go ahead and bring in our guest for today. We are so excited to welcome in former Auburn offensive tackle, a 12-year NFL vet with the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs, three-time Super Bowl champion, a pro bowler, and an Alabama sports hall of famer. Everyone welcome, Steve Wallace. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hello, how are you guys doing? Doing wonderful, uh, Taylor and Jason. I mean, I'm just uh, happy to be a part of with you guys today. Well, we are certainly excited to have you. And we were talking before we started recording. This is another guy with a lot of energy. I, I think it's a lineman thing, kind of like Marcus McNeil on the last episode. You guys just bring the energy. So I know it's going to be a great episode. We're pumped to have you join us. And and I'm just going to get started the way I always do, Steve. I love to start out talking about our beloved Auburn University and just hear a little bit about what it meant to you. I mean, like I just said, you went on and, and have had so much success since your time at Auburn, but how much of that do you credit to your time at Auburn? How do you think Auburn laid the foundation for the rest of your success? Oh, Auburn is nothing but my foundation. I mean, first of all, I, I just have a, a given type spirit and uh and I love people well I say good folks and uh and then I like to do things yeah to help others and then uh even back to where I, th I thought growing up it was about a 95 percent chance I was going to Georgia and then uh back in the day where coach died uh he laid it out for me he was like you can go over there and sit on the bench and watch Herschel Walker for a couple of years or you can come over here and help our folks at Auburn and, uh, and, and help us to establish a, a winning culture, to change the history, and to be a, a big part of something special for our Auburn folks. And, and that's why I have such a love. And then also the hard work. I mean, we worked so hard yeah. there at Auburn that how can you not love that place after you work so hard? Yeah. We actually talked about this with, with Marcus on the last episode. He kind of gave us a little insight into what worked for him on the line, specifically in the run game and, and just different tactics that, that made him so successful. And, and I would love to hear a bit of a, a breakdown from you. You know, there, there's a lot of writing out there that says you really revolutionized the position of left tackle. How do you feel you did that? Well, it was a, a combination of uh, several things. Just uh, like I said, the hard work that came from Auburn. Mm -hmm. Just, uh, uh, you know, I'm a polite person off the field, but when I played on the field, just a mean, nasty guy <laughs> that had to protect my quarterback. And if you hit my quarterback, I might on the next play accidentally hit you under the jaw with a right hook. But it's accidentally, you know, and there's nothing, yeah. you know, uh, no, no, uh, bad intent on, on hurting you, but just to shake you up uh, so you can direct all that bad energy on me and you can stop worrying about and being concerned about hitting the quarterback. And so uh, everything is focused on uh, – and, and then I, I worked hard as far as like before every game I went out, ran three miles, or if it rained out, I was on the Stairmaster really hard because my conditioning was a huge part of that. And when you got Lawrence Taylor, you got to be able to dance with him and, and just go toe-to-toe, -to -toe. hey, that's serious business. If you oh, yeah. want a paycheck, honey, you better get ready uh, to play that guy. And every single play counts for the simple fact that those guys who hit Jason Camel back to pass 
knock the ball out of their hands, pick it up, and run it in for a touchdown, and come Monday, you might be looking for a new job. So you have to have a, a different mindset at that left tackle position. Yeah, you're extremely right about that. And, uh, you know, left tackle position, I always say it's the most important position in all the sports outside of the quarterback because you have to keep that guy clean and uh, and that guy's confidence has got to be at an all-time high uh, with the guy that's blocking for him. You talked about earlier about, you know, playing for Pat Dye. And, uh, you know, you know, we lost Pat here recently and, uh, and everything. Talk about what Pat meant to you guys as a, as a team and what he meant for Auburn and uh, your relationship with him and, and being able to block for Bo. And, you know, I've heard so many stories, you know, um, through, through Pat about y'all and, and everything. But I just want to hear from you, you know, one of the legends that played for him. Like I said, that was one of the toughest plays to ever play. When Coach Dye came there, and a lot of people talk about the old Alabama, the Junction boys with Bear Bryant, and Pat, Coach Dye came with a mindset that he was going to outwork workers harder than uh, what they did at Alabama. And so that was totally his approach. And in the first few days of practice, I was, I was just kind of saying my prayers like, dear Lord, it's okay right now if you blow out both of my arches, you know. <laughs> I can recover from these, but, you know, just blow out my arches because I don't think I could do this. And it took just a mindset like I made it through this day. Can I possibly make it through the next day and then the next day? And then that was the approach. And then and taking that and that mindset, when I played, we played a game against the Florida Gators, and there were 13 guys on their side and 12 guys on our side, and 25 guys made a pro roster. And, and like you said, Jason, with that camaraderie, so that's why when we see those guys, all of our former teammates here at Auburn, that there's a big hug. There's a hug because we know what each other went through in that grind. And, and every one of those guys are like, I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit. But <laughs> just it built such a level of camaraderie that's why it's, it's, it's such a special thing and it turned around the history when we had lost to Alabama nine times in a row myself as a 17 year old kid and you know when I look back at that sideline it just I refused to go back to that sideline as a loser I continued to compete continue to compete and I felt like at some point in this game uh with Bo Jackson over the top uh, that guy's going to give me, you know, I was going to get an edge on him. And then late in the fourth quarter, continuing to compete. And finally, we got that edge with Bo over the top. Oh, man. Moment in history that we will never forget. I still love that one. I mean, like you've said, you've been a part of so many special groups. And, and both your college days, your NFL days, you, you know hard work, but you also know success. You experienced a good bit of it, and you know offense. Like you were saying, you got you to gotta go on that field with some nastiness, and you got to match the intensity of your opponent or beat the intensity of your opponent. So let's talk about the current culture of Auburn football, specifically on the offensive side, because I think arguably, you know, our biggest downfall the past few seasons has just been a lack of consistency. You know, there's moments of greatness, but it's it's not necessarily sustaining itself. From your perspective, what characteristics make a really effective offense? What more would you like to see at Auburn? Well, I just think uh, exactly what you said, Taylor. Those were some great points that you got to – you have to continue to grind and, and just know that uh, 
it's in the red zone. You know, uh, Auburn has kicked a, a ton of field goals. Yeah. And, and Gus, as a good coach, uh, will probably look back and evaluate that very tough. Because if you're moving the ball up and down the field and you're coming away with three points and the other po- your opponent can go down and once every two possessions and get seven – and they're doing more, they're, and, and so it, it makes it tough in the conference. Uh, when you're playing against a good offense like LSU, Alabama, and those, you got to get those seven. And, and so that would be a great thing for them to examine uh, how can we get seven. You know, a uh, few years back, we threw uh, maybe for three or 400 yards to Sammy Coates up and down the field, but we got three, and three is not going to win championships. And, uh, and Gus is a good enough coach uh, that he can figure that out. And uh, and then, hell, they just got to fight. You got to fight for those purposes to come out with seven. Nah, that's a great point. You know, great point Taylor made and, uh, and, and yourself as well, Steve. When you think about this offense, you know, we had no spring this year and pretty much no summer. You know, everything these guys have done over the summer has been through communications with Zoom. And you know as well as anything – in order to work together as an offensive line and work together as a team, you have to be in person and uh, you have to build some type of continuity and with, with one another. Like chemistry is the key when it comes to football. And how hard is it do you think it's going to be for these guys coming into training camp, not being able to work together in the spring or the summer, and you're bringing in four new offensive starters at that position, and then you have a new offensive line coach that came in from over from Ole Miss at that position. So how do you piece all these pieces together within a three-week span before you probably go out and roll out and play your first game? Well, I think you, you can't waste time. Your time has to be with a purpose, and you have to do everything very effectively. And and you, and in the offense, uh, like you said, I think the greatest thing, and I want to shout this out as loud as I can. I hope Gus hears this. The greatest thing that you've done is, is you brought in competition at every single level. I played with a couple quarterbacks, uh, Joe Montana, Steve Young, uh, mm-hmm. myself. Uh, I had great competition at my position, and one of the greatest teams that I played with had competition at every position. So I, I say this to Auburn people, uh, hey, it's competition. The best person up there wins, and every single week out, you know, that starter is looking back at that bench knowing that, hell, if I don't get it done, somebody else over there is, is desperate to get in there. And so there's no one person winning uh, these uh, – given a, a position. You have to go out and earn these positions at Auburn. Uh, I look across the board at Alabama when it was Tua and Hurts. Uh, mm-hmm. Hey, you got to play and you got to perform. And so when you got that, and we have it right now at Auburn, it makes you much sharper – and, and and you should expect a much better team, but it's going to take a great deal of uh, concentration. That is such a great point. I want to switch gears a little bit and get your opinion on something because I just want to pick your brain. And this is a big topic of our episode today, so I want to get your opinion. Cam Newton to the Pats. Let's talk about this one for me because – I think that, you know, there, there's so much unknown still associated with Cam, and obviously he's been so injury-ridden. Nobody really knows what you're going to get. But when he's at his best, he's, he's one of the all-time greats. He's got that skill set that's just tough to beat. But how much of a benefit is it to Cam to now be 
in an organization like the Pats with a line that they have, because <laughs> the reality of this Panthers organization is sometimes that offensive line has just been terrible. And he really right. had a rough go of it. He spent way more time on his ass than Tom Brady ever has. So what kind of benefit do you potentially see in that fit for him with the Patriots or, or do you not see it happening for him? Girl, you know your football. <laughs> and with that, when I saw that move, I was like, what? That's the worst thing that ever happened. Cam Newton going there for the simple fact that I want the Patriots to be down for a little while. They don't need to continue. They've, they've killed all the 49ers records. And I just, I was like, this is an opportunity for the Patriots to go down and then they, then they go pick up Cam Newton. And so the only thing he needs is just a confidence booster right now. Because there are times, and Jason knows this, when you play long and hard for a long enough time, you're going to have a couple bad years that, or mediocre years. And and so with Cam, only thing he needs to, is, is to have that stability. They got a great staff. And like you said, it's going to be a different level of protection. Just like yep. uh, if, looking back, here's one for you. Uh, in the playoffs uh, or in the Super Bowl, when they lost that game earlier – you know, the guy gets beat on the right tackle. They slap the ball out of his hand, pick it up for a touchdown. And so you're going down the field for a last drive. And so the one thing can't happen. The guy can't get beat again. You know, Cam gets a big uh, – uh, he gets looked at a lot for that loss. But you yeah. can't have the same guy get beat. you got to have a double team because I always say this. Why are you going to send five guys out if you don't have enough time to throw to one. So it's okay to use one uh, for a split second and pass protection to bump a guy, to help a guy, and, and give the quarterback a little more time. Yeah. And, and, and guess what? That's exactly what happened. You kind of leave guys uh, naked on, on those islands, and you get beat, and the game's over. Where if you use one of those guys in your pass protection, bump, you know, take a half or a fraction of a second, they'll be okay. You still got four guys to throw to. Right. And and those things, you know, he'll see a lot of help, and it'll make him a much better player. This this will be a tremendous move for for them. And I was hoping they were going to be down for a second, but I think <laughs> they will truly be a playoff team and go uh, far. But they won't win it. That's for dang sure. Casey, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I was talking about Taylor makes great points there, uh, Steve. Let me tell you something about her now. She she's oh, on Lord. football now. She, she knows <laughs> the ins and outs. Absolutely. Thanks, fellas. <laughs> my whole take on this whole thing with him going Steve and Taylor to, to New England is I looked at this and said myself I said okay he's New England already has a top five defense from the year before I said they already have a good offensive line they have a good run game they have a two punch in the backfield I say Cam is the type of guy New England is the type of team they don't just run a system they kind of, whatever your weakness is, is what they attack on a weekly basis. Absolutely. So everyone Absolutely. was asking a question like, hey, you know, he ain't have no OTAs. He done, you know, he's going to have a short training camp to be able to pick up the playbook. They already down two preseason games. Uh, how's he going to pick up the offense? I said, guys, look, Cam is a pro. He's been in the league for over eight years. I said, him going to New England, New England is going to adapt to him. They brought him there for a reason because I think they were going to roll with Stidham, who's another Auburn guy. Mm -hmm. Right, they, right. Like, okay, we can't throw Stidham out there who hasn't had a OTAs, a mini camp. Right. And right. all of a sudden we were missing two preseason games. So we only get basically 
a really a one game and a half the next game because they're not going to play their starters that full second game going into the regular season. You're right. And we need someone that these teammates in the locker room can look at because they haven't had enough time to look at their quarterback instead of to build confidence yet. But we need these veteran guys that we have on defense and to say, like, look, when we walk out here on this field on Sunday, do we have a chance to win? And when they see Cam walk in the locker room, he's only a few years removed from making the Super Bowl, instantly they say yes because he's part of this era. He's a big part of this era. And when you think of it, it's a confidence booster for the rest of the guys. They're saying, hey, no, we're not tanking the season. We're actually trying to go win something. And for Cam, it's a chip on his shoulder because he's like, okay, I got replaced in Carolina. So now, you know what? I'm going there with a little bit of edge on my shoulder. And guess what? Who else got an edge on their shoulder? Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick wants to prove to the world that he can win without Tom Brady. And Tom Brady is trying to prove to the world he can win without Belichick. So this is going to make it an interesting year because, yes, you got Cam who's hungry, Belichick who's hungry. So I do think these two guys can kind of work together. And I do think Belichick's still going to let Cam kind of operate and have fun and not take that away from him. And I don't think he's going to try to turn him into a complete pocket passer. Cam is a guy, you get him out on the edge, he's a big frame, he's a big, big guy. And that causes problems. That causes problems for defenses because he can run – and then he can use his arm to make plays outside the pocket. And the worst thing for a defense is to give up a running first down on third downs. And Cam can do that. Yeah. And that's something yeah. that New England hadn't had lately. Brady was always a pocket guy. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, Cam gets excited off running the ball. And Carolina tried right. to change him over the last year and a half from doing those things. And it kind of backfloated their team because their team yeah. was built off defense and them controlling the ball on offense and Cam getting excited off run plays. So I think it could yeah. be a great match this year because you got the because all the other things behind it. Like I said, you and Taylor made great points about it. So I just want to put my two yeah. cents into it. But uh yeah. you know, yeah, I think it's gonna work. Yeah. Well, Jason, you know <clears throat> every young guy and, and, and people kinda of, kinda of saw uh some people call it the bad side of Cam Newton early on, but I call it the young enthusiasm uh, uh, the guy that that he got all that energy and you just want to make something happen. And hell, I had the same amount of energy. I would always <laughs> run down and pick up. Yeah, I'm telling you, I would go down and pick up Jerry Rice and 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 people like act like you've been there. Heck, that one, one that was a commemorative stamp that represented all the Super Bowls. So you just never know. But he can't. You know, he he did his Superman thing. Uh, yeah. Now the taking the picture was a bit much, and 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 now I think America will see a more mature guy. The guy's over thirty, and 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 Jason, you know that you take that energy, and after your butt score, you kind of get your butt back to the sideline. You start studying the game plan, and you and and you you can't worry about what the defense is doing as much, and you focus on what you're doing. And like you said, another great point is being a part of the New England Patriots. One year they destroyed uh, Kansas City two years ago in the playoffs by running the ball, and, and they're one of the teams that will take full advantage of what you give them. If you got a, 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 you have poor coverage against a tight end, they're going to throw that ball to the tight end. Uh, they can see certain things where they can uh, bump, set screens and picks. Uh, they're going to do that, and so they're going to take full advantage Every single game is a different game plan with the New England Patriots. And I used to get frustrated 
when uh, Belichick was a assistant coach for the Giants, and I would come up there and thinking, we're going to hammer this ball. We're going to run the ball at uh, Lawrence Taylor like, yes, sir. And then he have Lawrence Taylor ready to rush the whole time. And I'm thinking like, my God, this guy has it figured out. He really does because he double-dog dared us to run the ball, and uh, he would put Lawrence Taylor like, we're coming to get you right now. And it would, we could not score against their defense because that guy just – when he sees – uh, a way to attack your team, that's exactly what he, he did. He said, basically, the 49ers, if you can run the ball, you're gonna, we're going to give you first downs. But we were too stubborn. You know, Coach Walsh is like, we're the best passing team. And so that's why we always struggled against them because they look at what you do and they say, you're going to have to beat us another way. And so with Cam Newton, he's going to have a variety of things that's going to help him early on. They're going to protect him, uh, I would say, in the first two or three games. Then, hell, it might not be Cam. It might be Stidham. So, uh, there again, with competition, we'll see where it goes. And uh, and that, that's going to be a very uh, good team. And as you know this too, uh, Jason and and, uh, and Taylor, um, it only takes uh, for a, a guy to break a shoestring, sprain an ankle, if, uh, you know, God forbids that with a quarterback. And then all of a sudden, your team could be the favorite. And so, and one thing I got to say, uh, uh, Jason, is that Taylor, uh, being on top of it, she's the kind of person that most guys say, man, invite her to the group when we go out and watch the football <laughs> game. You know, I'm the guy, I drink a lot of wine, so I can have my wine, they have beer, whatever. But she there wouldn't be go. the one that you want in that group. Listen, I'd exactly. be there in a heartbeat, Steve. You just let me know. Well, Steve, that will do it for us today. Again, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us. You are welcome here anytime that you want. It was great hearing from you, and uh, and I hope that it's not the last. Absolutely. We probably, if, you know, you guys have me back during the year. We'll, we'll take a look at that. And uh, I had a Deal. delightful time, and it was a joy. Brother, we appreciate it. Continue to do what you're doing in the community. Uh, continue to be uplifting, and uh, you're a great Auburn sport. And uh, you carry the university well. And uh, that's right. Look forward to seeing you down in Atlanta. All right, everybody. That wraps it up for us this week on Believe in Everything Auburn. As always, before Jason says some really deep, profound quote, I'm going to ask for subscribers. Make sure you're listening and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You'll get a notification every time we release one. And you're going to want to do that because we have great guests. We have great topics. We have a lot of fun along the way. And basically, the Auburn family sticks together. So subscribe and help Jason and I continue to grow this thing. Now, Jason, go ahead and hit the people with something deep. Yes, yeah, so people, go ahead if you want to reply on my Instagram page or Taylor Instagram page or Twitter and hit us with some questions that you may want us to ask each other and oh, show all 32 teeth because someone around you is having a bad day and may be frowning and discouraged and your 32 teeth may just brighten their day. That was beautiful, except everyone should be wearing their masks, so oh, I can't see right. your teeth. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Glad you said that. So this is the first time she got me on the end statement. So hers might've got better than mine today, but I tell you what, the eye in the sky don't lie. So everyone wear your mask. PSA. There it is. There it is. I got to keep you on your toes, Jason. That's what I do. All right, everybody. Have a good week. War Eagle. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early. So everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.